If you want to be a premier cop, then you need to learn from the premier police training company in the land. Of course, I'm talking about Street Cop Training. They've got dozens of instructors out in the field right now, sharing their expertise in narcotics, interdiction, report writing, first aid, mental health, case law, and just quality police work. And those aren't even all the topics. There's literally something for everybody. I've attended several classes myself, and I can tell you that these folks cannot miss. Dennis Benino, the owner, is doing massive things for the world of law enforcement at a time when everyone else seems to be running away from it. Street Cop Training is literally the best in the business. Check out their private Instagram and join their law enforcement-only Facebook group to get free trainings, and then check out upcoming in-person and on-demand trainings at streetcop.com. You will not be disappointed. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. This week on the 108 podcast, an evening with Sheriff Mike Chitwood. I was leaving a city of 1.5 million people to Shawnee, Oklahoma, where there were 53 cops. And the tallest building was the Hampton Inn. Number two person in Philadelphia Police Department said, you're not arresting this guy. This guy's with Philadelphia all now. I incompleted out of college, mainly due to beer and women. I'm like, how do you get that stupid in five days? You lie, you die. The cover-up's always worse than the crime. I'll be fucked up if you can't be right. Yeah. I do the same thing. I told you that I never would. I told you I changed. Even when I knew I never could. Know that I can't find nobody else as good as you. I need you to stay. Need you to stay. Yeah. I do the same thing. I told you that I never would. I told you I changed. Even when I knew I never could. Know that I can't find nobody else as good as you. I need you to stay. Need you to stay. Yeah. When I'm away from you, I miss your touch. This all begins at around 5 o'clock tonight when one of our juvenile homes, which is a complete failure and disgrace to the juvenile justice system in the state of Florida, a place called Funch, uh, a 12-year-old who is a severe diabetic who has to have insulin every four hours, runs away. And he runs away with a 14-year-old. That 14-year-old that he runs away with, you may remember, uh, over the last year or so, stole a bunch of puppies gets put into a halfway house in Flagler County, burns the home down. So what do they do? They send her to Volusia County because the juvenile justice system works so well here in the state of Florida. So now they're reported missing. So the deputies in the Deltona area go out looking for this 12-year-old and this 14-year-old because the 12-year-old is insulin dependent and the 12-year-old, if he doesn't get his medication within four hours, it's gonna be a critical medical emergency. So every time the deputies encounter these two little desperados, they run from us. So at around 7.30, 8 o'clock tonight, deputies are out on the bike trail behind this home where a passerby flags them down and says, I happen to hear a bunch of breaking glass at a home. So the deputies walk up to the home, they discover that there's forced entry to the home. And the amazing thing is they don't do what I would have done I would have walked in because I have an eyewitness telling me two juveniles just forced their way into the home. They take a step back and contact the homeowner and say, should anybody have access to your home? As resources are pouring in to surround the property, 
the homeowner says, nobody should be home, but I have three firearms in the house. An AK-47, a pump shotgun, and a handgun, and 200 rounds of ammunition. So as deputies are surrounding the home and try to establish a rapport, they are met with gunfire. And they're not met with gunfire once, they're not met with gunfire twice, they're met with gunfire multiple times. At 8.28, one of my sergeants, who was the first to arrive, Sergeant Donnie Maxwell, takes fire multiple times, never returns fire. At 8.31, one of our units reports they're being fired at by the 12 and the 14 year old. At 8.33, another call comes out from another group of deputies surrounding the home saying that shots were fired. At 8.40, the 14 year old emerges from the property and threatens to kill Sergeant Maxwell. At 8.54, the juvenile male armed with an AK-47 opens fire on deputies. Eventually, after all this goes on and we try to de-escalate, we throw a cell phone into the house to try to talk to them, the 14-year-old comes out of the garage with a pump shotgun, levels it at deputies, and despite warnings to drop it, she walks back into the garage. She comes back a second time, and that's when deputies open fire after taking multiple rounds. After they wound her, they automatically transition to try to save her life. Apply tourniquets, get first aid in here, they confront the 12-year-old who is still armed with the AK-47 in the garage. After about 30 seconds, he decides to drop the firearm. I don't know what to say. Where have we gone wrong that 12-year-old and 14-year-old think it's okay to take on law enforcement? What the hell is the Department of Juvenile Justice doing sending these kids to places that can't handle them? We talk about juvenile justice reform, Deputies did everything they could tonight to de-escalate, and they almost lost their lives to a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. If it wasn't for their training and their supervision, like I said earlier, I would have walked right into that house. Hey, two teenagers, two kids broke into a home, I'm going to go in and arrest them. Somebody would have ended up dead. So I don't know what more to say. You know, we'll release the body camera footage tomorrow. The information that I gave you tonight is preliminary. It's based on radio transmissions, it's based on computer dispatch calls, and it's based on the original supervisors that showed up at the scene. I don't know where we get the men and women that respond to these incidents to do what they do, and do it with bravery, do it with courage, and do it with trying to protect the sanctity of the human, human life. But they took rounds, multiple, multiple rounds, before they were left with no other choice but to return fire. And again, a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. So for all the faith groups out there who want to tell me about uh, civil citations and we don't have violent juveniles, keep something in mind. This folks home several weeks ago, one of their students beat to death one of the counselors. We've been out to this location 289 times in 2020 for various incidents. And the Ju Department of Juvenile Justice consistently is sending kids that need to be in secure facility into our communities. And tonight, thankfully, I have deputies who are going home to their families because they knew what to do, they were well trained, and they were well supervised. Can you imagine the firepower in that home in the hands of 12 and 14 year olds that want to 
threaten, they open fire on us and then come out and defy us to shoot them because they're going to kill deputies. This is something I've never seen in 35 years of policing. And I'm sad to say, thank God my career is starting to come to an end because I don't know what the future of law enforcement looks like in this country. They want to defund us. They want to sanction us and take qualified immunity away. They want to make us the bad guy. And yet you have 12 and 14 year old thugs that want to shoot it out. And you haven't seen this, this crime scene yet. The deputies had nowhere to hide but trees. There was no cover other than their vehicles and a tree. And any of you that are listening to me know an AK-47 is going through an engine block, it's going through a car, and it's going through your bulletproof vest. So... Those are the impassioned words of Sheriff Mike Chitwood. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the 10-8 Podcast. I'm your host, 10-8. For everyone joining us for the first time, welcome to the show. Uh, we will be getting to the sheriff in just a few. We've got a lot to do today, a lot to unbox before we get to the sheriff. But an absolutely amazing conversation awaits for you. Uh, if you want to skip ahead to get to it, I totally understand. But I ask that you wait because things are going to get great here. i got a lot of things planned. So I just want to start by saying Sheriff Chitwood was one of the best guests I've had in the show to date. Everything I threw out there, he responded to, and it wasn't like pulling teeth. He was just very forthcoming with information, uh, every single topic. He was just great about it, even things that he didn't really know the answer to. There were a few hypotheticals I threw out there. He still gave me something. So, I, you know, I, I thanked him the day I did the interview, which was just before Thanksgiving, and uh, he... He delivered. He did great. So thanks to him again. Thanks to his staff for making it happen. We were working on this since July. Lots of things happened between July and right now. Uh, so he was very busy. I, you know, went off the grid for a little bit. So long time coming. Definitely worth the wait. And after the interview today, we've got my buddy Frank Castle. We're going to talk about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I thought, you know, to stay in the holiday spirit amidst all this stuff, we're going to talk about Christmas movies at the end of every episode, maybe one or two. I'm going to try to grab a guest, and uh, and we'll see what we can do. Obviously, I've only got a few weeks up to Christmas. Um, well, you know, we'll try to make the best of it. So, got that to look forward to. Uh, first thing I want to do, though, today is get to the voicemails. I'm so happy. I talked about the voicemails uh, during the Jersey Boys episode. I think I talked about it during the Adam Loki episode. And you guys delivered. You really did. So, let's go ahead and check the voicemails. And uh, I also, I recorded a promo for leaving a voicemail. So that way, you know, you guys are more encouraged to do so because I love this part. I do. So let's hit the voicemails. Hey, what's up, Dan? Just calling to say what's up. I uh, hope you're all moved into your uh, new spot. All well and good. Uh, keep cranking out these podcast episodes, man. Each one gets better and better. Looking forward to the one with Chitwood and uh, him and Grady Judge seem to just be uh, hops cop. So. Anyways, bud, you ever down here in Houston? Hit my line. Get a spot to stay. See you, bud. You guys are going to love this episode with Mike Chitwood. I, I, I can't preface it enough. Uh, talk about a cop's cop. Him and Grady Judd, I mean, they make law enforcement great. They make you want to do the job. They make you want to do good at the job. It's amazing. So, um, to Houston, thank you so much. If I'm ever down there, we're going to grab brewskis and barbecue, and we're just going to tear it up. Really appreciate it. You know, it be it would blow my mind if one day I'm able to travel because of this podcast. It would, it would blow my mind. But baby steps, not not doing the walking tour or uh, talking tour yet. But, uh, you know, I'm not like Trey Kennedy or uh, Trevor Wallace. Those are two of uh, my favorite internet comic type, type guys. You know, they were content creators. Now they're doing stand-up shows. 
Anyway, uh, next one. Hey, Estonia. Um, I'm just leaving a message because 10-8 just posted someone's response to his question, and they basically were saying, like, they're concerned that if they leave, they're not going to feel right about the decision, and even though they want to leave, they have other factors playing in, and I'm going to preface with I'm a dispatcher. I'm not an officer, so I don't understand the same pressures, if you will. However, I feel like this goes for, like, any job you have. If you really don't feel like being there, then find something else that's going to make you want to come into work every day. I've never been one to give a shit what people think about me, so I've always gone for what I've wanted to do in life, and I've been very blessed with that. However, praying only got me so far. I really had to work at it. So, yeah, looking back, you probably thought, like, I really worked hard to get here. And sometimes it just doesn't work out in life. And you think, you know what? All that work didn't go for nothing. I did a lot to get here, but I'm not happy anymore. So try not to think too much about what people are going to think or say about you. It doesn't matter. You're not going to be fucking friends with them after that, right? Like, who cares? You know how many friends I lost because I became from I went from an EMT to a dispatcher? I'm glad I lost those people. They were shitty. They're backstabbing, gossiping losers. So if that's what you're concerned about, you got to really look at why you're trying to leave and what else you want to do. So good luck. God bless. And hope you guys have a great day. So, Sonia, thank you for the message. I haven't really addressed the elephant in the room yet regarding law enforcement and myself. I've kind of talked about it here and there on the Instagram page. Haven't talked about it on here. I will be in the in the not so far away future. Um, but one thing that you did tell me or you said in the voicemail was, you know, you work so hard to get to a certain place in your life and by leaving what you trained so hard for feels like everything was for nothing. And you know, that, that was, that was a big deciding factor as well. Um, I, I really, I just don't want to get into it right now because I could take up an entire hour. Um, I may do an, an episode where that's all I do is talk about, uh, my position in law enforcement now. So, uh, great insight Sonia um, thank you very much for sharing your experiences everybody if you're unsure about the job if you're unsure about your place in the job uh, you know just remember this and I'll, I'll leave this topic with this you have to go home to you at the end of the day you know and and that that goes for one of the decision one of the deciding factors for me was I need to be able to provide um, I don't you know want to be unemployed I don't want to be a burden to my family, you know, I'm supposed, a man's place is to be a provider. And yes, that is a gender role. Screw it. I'm, I'm old school. My parents were born in the forties. That's how I was raised. Um, no, no issues with my significant other working as well. Obviously uh, this, this day and age, you need that. Um, but I'm just saying I would feel like less of a man if I couldn't provide for my family. That's what I'm saying. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to go home to yourself. At the end of the day, the only person that you have to look out for is yourself, the man in the mirror. And if you can't get out of bed in the morning, if you know, if for whatever reason you can't make it to work or you don't want to go to work or it's just causing so much anxiety that you can't make it, you need to address it. And I'm going to leave it at that for right now. So thank you guys so much for the voicemails. Here's the quick promo just so you guys know where to go, what to do, and how to do it. And then we're going to get... The, uh, the episode continue to go. The 10A Podcast is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Just kidding. But the 10A Podcast is made possible because of people like you taking about an hour of your week out and listening to me. And I love nothing more than hearing from you. 
So what I want you to do is call, because this is an audio podcast and text messages just don't work the same. Call the 10A podcast and I will play your voice clip on my show. You can literally call about anything. It could be a question. It could be a complaint. It could be a grievance. It could be a gripe. It could be a bitch. It could be a moan. Don't be a moan. That would that would be weird. Um, but yes, I want you to call and I want to share it to the masses. So please give me a call. 352-610-1692. Again, that's 352-610-1692. Save that in your phone. It does not go to my phone. It goes to a voicemail. And I will play your voice on my show. All right, let's get back into it. And I really love getting the email on my phone saying, hey, you've got a new voicemail. I love checking it out. Um, Even if you want to be silly about it, I'm cool with that too. Um, So the next thing I want to talk about, and this is going to go directly into uh, my interview with Sheriff Chitwood. So uh, for one thing, so when I, I started the episode with a very long clip of him getting impassioned about this shooting with these kids. Two reasons. Two reasons. I, I was going to cut the clip down, um, but the clip was actually the reason why I messaged him. One of the reasons why I messaged his staff to be on the show. Um, I've said in multiple episodes that the problem with America right now is the justice system. It's the attorneys and it's the judges. They're the ones that let us down. It's not law enforcement. Yes, it's the politicians too, but the ones that accept these bogus sentences for these violent people and these, these dangerous individuals. That's the problem. So him being so impassioned about it, um, really got my fire going. Um, and there was no way for me to cut different parts of it because you would miss the whole vibe of the whole thing. So hopefully you guys listen to the whole thing because it means a lot to me. Uh, but the other part of this that I wanted to talk about was, so he's a second generation law enforcement officer, as am I. Uh, his dad, he's going to talk about it, you know, was a chief of multiple places. Um, he's been in law enforcement for like 50 years. My dad was a cop for 26 years in New Jersey. I've talked about that a couple of times. He retired. Um, he went to be a private investigator. And I even, I went to different investigations with him and that spiked my interest. I, you know, seeing him as a kid, um, writing investigations, writing reports, reviewing surveillance, everything, you know, going on stakeouts with him. Very interesting to me. Different, different kind of father-son vibe uh, than I'm sure a lot of people have. Uh, but, you know, as far as parent-child vibing and, and um, uh, experiences, I remember speaking to Stephanie Franick and her saying that she grew up under her mother's detective desk. You know, while she was working cases in Connecticut, very similar, you know, so I think for us, second generation law enforcement or someone who had family in law enforcement is is a different experience. You know, Uh, my dad and I had a million great experiences growing up. Um, I don't even remember all of them. I remember him telling me um, that, you know, we would go everywhere and he would just he would drive and I'd be I was into like uh, tractor trailers and semis just on the thing. And he would tell me all about the different trucks and what they did and blah, blah, blah. But I, I remember, you know, we went fishing, we would go to baseball, took out to movies, you know, that was genuine stuff that, you know, kids do with their dad, especially when you live in the sticks, you know, fishing is kind of the thing We never went hunting, but, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know what I'm talking about here. I don't know why I wanted to talk about fathers, but you know, just thinking about my dad, um, my dad's been passed away since 2017 and you know, it's the holidays. So you're, 
more apt to think about things, I guess, during the holidays. I don't think about him. I think about my mom, too. Um, but yeah, I think both of them. Um, but I've been thinking about my dad. I think with talking to Sheriff Chitwood about his dad for a little bit made me think about mine. And I was talking to some. I was talking to Adam Loki actually, because uh, his dad passed away earlier this year. And at the end of last week's episode, I played Yesterday by Atmosphere, and I, <laughs> I actually wrote something very similar to Yesterday. It was like a poem, and the the song. If you guys didn't hear it last week, I'd suggest go listen to it. It's about the man Atmosphere uh, seeing his dad, who his dad has passed away, and I just wish that I had the ability. <clears throat> to see my dad these days. Just once. Um, both my parents, yes, but for this conversation, my dad. Um, so, my dad had has had, had many strokes throughout my, my life. I was a freshman in high school. He had his first massive stroke. And from that to 2017, he just got sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker. Um, we still had a connection. And he still taught me things. And we still bonded. And we did, you know, we did things. But taking the role of caregiver versus, you know, just father, son, like buddy, buddy thing. It was different. And I, I, I do, I, I don't, I don't regret the experiences I did have with my dad. Of course not. But I do wish I was able to, you know, go out and, and my dad and I did, we, we went out for beers and stuff, but not the same, not the same as, as how I would hope it to have gone. And not that I would ever regret it. I just, I just wish that was possible. So just humor me, you know, if, if your dad's not in your life, you know, I, I apologize, but my dad was very strong in my life. Both parents were. Um, so if your dad is in your life, give him a call today and, uh, you know, say, Hey, some idiot on the internet told me to say hi and I miss you. And, uh, just do that for me. I would, I would appreciate that. Um, again, I, I don't have my parents to, to call and talk to. I don't have my sister anymore. Um, and again, the, the holidays get tough. So that being said, guys, appreciate the ones you got. I think that's what I'm trying to get out here. Anyway, I, I typically do the sad stuff after the interview, but, uh, I got, I got fun stuff planned for after the interview. So, you know, I, I had to make, I had to make plans. So anyway, guys, that's really all I wanted to say at the, at the beginning of the episode today. Again, this is a longer episode than usual. Hopefully you guys are here to enjoy it now. The moment you've all been waiting for. Ladies and gentlemen, here is my interview with Sheriff Michael J. Chitwood. What you know about rolling down in the deep when your brain goes numb, you can call them into freeze when these people talk too much. We're back, and joining me is Sheriff Michael Chitwood. Sir, how are you today? I am doing well. How are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Again, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time and having a chat with me today. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here with you. 
I, I thank you very much. So just for the people that don't know you that may not be in the uh, in the Florida area, could you do me a favor and just introduce yourself? Yeah, I am. Uh, my name is Mike Chitwood. I am a second generation uh, police officer. I began my career with the Philadelphia Police Department back in uh, 1987. Uh, I spent nearly 18 years there. Um, I was a lieutenant in the homicide division uh, when I left to take up this thing called police chiefing and became the police chief in Shawnee, Oklahoma. Um, I was there for about a year when probably one of the most fortuitous things in my life ever happened to me. I was hired to become the police chief in Daytona Beach. Uh, and for the next 10 and a half years, just had an outstanding time in a great organization, got to do a lot of creative and innovative things. And then uh, in 2016, uh, the incumbent sheriff uh, was retiring and the business community uh, current mayor, former mayor, city manager all approached me and asked me to uh, run for sheriff, uh, which was kind of scary, you know, mm -hmm. didn't know anything about politics, you know, didn't know anything about anything, but it's police work. And I, I wound up winning out in the primary. There were five people that ran in uh, August of 2016. I won out. Uh, I had more votes than the other four guys combined. And when and January 5th, 2017, I took office. Uh, Volusia County Sheriff's Office is located here. We are in Central Florida on the East Coast. Uh, Daytona Beach is our most famous city. We're a county of about 550,000 folks. Uh, geographically, we are the size of Rhode Island, 14 oh, wow. square miles. Yeah. Uh, and we have about 175, 200 uh, miles of waterway that, that are included in here. Uh, the sheriff's office is a full service sheriff's office. We do everything, patrol, uh, you know, investigations. We have uh, all of the toys, the helicopters, the SWAT gear, the boats. We also have a centralized communication center, which the sheriff runs. And we're also in charge of courthouse security and civil process. Uh, 2020, I was up for reelection again and ran unopposed and won a second four-year term. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. So uh, we're going to, we'll start with, I guess you said you got to do a lot of creative things when you were the chief in Daytona Beach. What exactly did you do that was creative and innovative? Yeah, when I got hired in Daytona, uh, the police department was taking a beating. Uh, morale was horrible. Uh, there were a lot of issues inside of the department that eroded community trust. And they had a serial killer running around. They had uh, in late 2005 and early 2006, just before I got hired, they had uh, three uh, women uh, prostitutes who were uh, shot in the head after being sexually assaulted. And the DNA and the ballistics were obviously made it. It was a serial killer. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things that we did uh, when we got here was I met with all the community stakeholders, you know, pastors, unions, community groups and wanted feedback on what we do right and what we didn't do right. And one of the things that the, a lot of the complaints were no community engagement. And it seems that the rules are different in the African-American community than they were in the white community. Okay. So we had to get to work on those perceptions right away. We had to increase visibility. Uh, we started holding monthly crime meetings in the neighborhoods. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, we brought in Comstat computerized statistical analysis of crime. Uh, while I had crime meetings every day with my command staff, 
we did, we would do a monthly public CompStat meeting, and we would take it around to the different areas in the community so people could come, you know, daytime, nighttime, middle of the day. Uh, we broke the city into two districts: District One, which encompasses the beach side, and District I'm sorry, District Two, which encompassed, encompassed the beach side. Put a headquarters there so that the cops were always there in the neighborhoods; they didn't have to go back to the main building. And then mm -hmm. district, mm -hmm. district One, which was on the east side, uh, the west side of the city. Sorry, that was the took care of the of the city there. Then we started to increase training. You know, we started to increase diversity. We were able to secure scholarships from our local state college here that I was able to send back over 60 of my officers ready to go back to school for free. Oh, wow. Uh, to get their associate's degree or their bachelor's degree for free. All you have to do is maintain a C plus average and your tuition and books were paid for. Uh, that, that created uh, a, a better equipped force education wise. You know, we brought, like I said, we brought in ComStat. We brought in body cameras. Uh, mm -hmm. We were one of the first, if not the first, in the state of Florida to go full implementation with body cameras. We put together a real-time crime center uh, so that when uh, the objective being, when a crime occurred, crime analysts and detectives were automatically uh, getting as much data as they could from every public website around and try to funnel that off that information out to the responding officers to increase apprehensions license plate readers because of the serial killer we ringed the city in tag readers because mm -hmm. we knew that this, this guy was a creature of habit uh and and we hoped that the tag readers would help us uh dna outsourcing of dna we started a foundation which was made up of a group of business leaders they raised money for me that I could use for technology and training. So, you know, burglaries, for example, um, you know, you get a burglary where the bad guy used his index fingers to punch a hole in the screen, to lift the screen, to get in to do the burglary. Well, I could send that screen to the state lab and maybe if I'm lucky in 12 months or more, they'll send back a DNA profile to me. Mm -hmm. With the foundation, we were able to contract with a, a lab in Deerfield Beach, Florida. I would get that information back in 10 days. Oh, wow. That's great. And and we did. We got a DNA hit off of it. <laughs> and, and they were things that we were able to help drive down uh, the burglaries because through fingerprints and through DNA, obviously ring doorbell cameras were coming into play. Using all of that technology in the real-time crime center, we were able to dramatically reduce uh, crime in our community. Great, great. Now you said that when you you took over, the morale was in the toilet. Did all these different things you implemented, getting the community more involved, bringing putting your cops back to school, did all of that help morale? Did it hurt morale? Did it kind of stay the same? All of that. Plus, when you're new, they kind of give you what you want. When you've been around a long time, they they fight <laughs> you on these things. Right. So the city manager was fantastic when it came to get, updating equipment. And when it came to getting pay raises, we got those. My first couple contracts, we were getting new equipment and pay raises. So when you added all of those things together, plus I think as a leader, uh, I, I believe in management by walking around, MBWA. I believe in being out there on the street, uh, backing up my officers, you know, going out when the SWAT team goes out, being in there when a homicide occurs and, 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 and listening to what the detectives are doing. I think those things, uh, lend credence to morale that hey you know what this guy he, this guy cares about us this guy's going to sure. fight for us when we're right 
and then of course we had some dead wood that we had to get rid of. They had some organizational terrorists that, you know, you just had to bide your time and wait for them to make that mistake to where you could you could separate them from the organization. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Was it difficult coming from Philadelphia and Oklahoma to Florida? Like, was that kind of transition difficult? Did that make things more difficult for you? Yeah, the the, the transition from Philadelphia to Shawnee, Oklahoma, I was leaving a city of 1.5 million people, mm-hmm. uh, 7,000 cops, to Shawnee, Oklahoma, where there were 53 cops, there were 30,000 <laughs> people, and wow. the tallest building was the Hampton Inn, and it was three stories <laughs> high. Wow. I soon found out why the Hampton Inn was the tallest building when one of those things called the tornado came rolling through. Sure. And, and, uh, but it, the, the folks were great. You know, we brought things there like Comstat and, you know, detectives working around the club. Even though it was a small city, uh, we, we did some things like that. Put an awards ceremony and they didn't give out awards. I mean, they did not give out any recognition out, out for folks that did really outstanding police work, whether it was making an arrest or whether it was community involvement. And, and we, we codified a formal plan. Uh, and then the same thing I did in Daytona. We made it a huge, huge ceremony uh, with the community there to reward community leaders and and, poli- and good policing. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So uh, obviously Daytona Beach isn't Philadelphia. It's definitely not Shawnee, Oklahoma. Was the reception initially good when you when you joined the the police ranks down in Florida because the the communities are just different too and the temperament seems to be different as they, well. They are. Daytona Beach is a microcosm of any big city in America. Drugs, prostitution, racial issues, tourism is huge in Daytona. While there's sixty five thousand year round residents, they get between six and eight million visitors a year. Uh, come into the city and you have big events to police like the Daytona 500 and bike week. So it, it was a full time job. Uh, you were police chief 24, seven, 365. Mm-hmm. There was no, no breaks. Uh, like anything else you're new, there's one third of the people are excited that you're there. One third of the people want to see you fail. And one third of people don't give a damn. Mm-hmm, sure. so the, the trick is to get the people that don't give a damn, not to side up with the people who want you to fail. Sure. So there was a lot of skepticism uh, when I went to implement like Comstat, uh, when I went to implement a pawn shop registry, uh, when we when I banned shooting at or from cars, police cars, shooting mm-hmm. at a clean car. There, there was a lot of consternation uh that came forward what's this guy doing this is the way we've always done it why is he changing this uh but that's something that was one of the phrases i banned please don't tell me this is the way we've always done it please right that that's a cancerous term in policing it's cancerous term even in business the business community a business world would go under you know imagine where we would be today with technology if somebody said well we've always done it this way we, we can't change and cops don't like to change they really don't like change <laughs> yeah i had a training officer say there's two things that the cops hate it's the way things are and change well said <laughs> it's uh you know it's, it's frustrating too because everyone's gonna complain about what's going on and then the moment someone tries to implant implement it they go well everything was fine the way it was no it wasn't you're complaining five minutes ago so true that is so true let's um let's take a step back though let's talk about your time in philadelphia kind of what made you the police officer that you are today i did some back reading you were the detective that arrested alan iverson is that what i saw 
He, one of my infamous, uh, yeah, I led the, I led the investigation into uh, Allen Iverson, which was, uh, it was a really interesting summer that summer because yeah. we had the, uh, we had the Allen Iverson caper, then we had the stolen Eagles playbook in a car break. Uh, Sean, I think it was Sean Barber's car got broken in. They stole his playbook and they stole like his fifty thousand dollar pair of earrings out of his car. Mm-hmm. And then we had a young lady by the name of Erica Pratt who her family was involved in drug trafficking. I think she was like maybe eight, seven or eight. And she was kidnapped by a rival drug gang. And uh, we were able to track her down. Thank God she was alive and she was really a feisty little girl. And uh, that's what kept her alive. And Uh then eventually make arrests in that that case. So that was uh, the Allen Iverson thing started the summer off. And uh, it was a a really interesting summer. what, what had happened was he apparently was involved in a domestic disturbance outside of the city of Philadelphia because he lived just outside of the city. Mm-hmm. And somewhere during the domestic disturbance, the allegations were that he had smacked his wife around and threw her out of the car naked. And then she went, uh, called some friends and had those guys pick her up. And then he went on a rampage looking for her and went to these guys' apartment and uh, kicked the door in and threatened one of them with a gun. And the the other guy that was in the apartment locked himself in the bedroom and got on the phone with 911 and was giving play-by-play description of what was going on in the apartment. Mm-hmm. So um, it was interesting because the uh, the next morning we, we get the report because I was I was the lieutenant in charge of special investigative unit. And, you know, uh, the report falls on my desk. I'm like, oh, boy, this is not going to be good. There's no way. <laughs> this is gonna be good. Yeah. So you got to go out and you start doing interviews. So we go to it and we interview these two guys. Both of these guys were, uh, they were, uh, they were gay guys. Not that it really mattered, but I think that was part of the hatred that Iverson had for these guys was mm-hmm. because they were gay. Okay. Uh, they had helped his wife out. So they give great statements. You know, hey, this is what happened. We know him. We were Sixers fans. And here's what ha- happened. And you play the 911 tape where you hear the hollering, screaming, and you hear the guy giving a blow-by-blow description. He's here now. He's got a gun uh, to his head. He's looking for his wife. So then we now we go to get an arrest warrant. And man, you talk about political backpedal. <laughs> yeah. The district attorney's was very oh slow down. We need to investigate more. The the number two person in the Philadelphia Police Department said you're not arresting this guy. This guy's what Philadelphia is all about. Uh, you know, we wanted to do a search warrant looking for his gun and some other stuff. Uh, they waited 72 hours before they gave us the warrant and they called Iverson's attorney before ahead of time to say, yeah. Hey, they're coming there with a search warrant. Well, geez, you know, that, that's, that just defeats the purpose. Right. So eventually he gets arrested and then he gets released on bail. And at the first court hearing, uh, one of the, of the, of the males is, MIA, they can't find him. And the second one says, uh, I kind of panicked. I really don't remember what really happened. Mm-hmm, right. So that was the end. Of, that was the end of that arrest. That arrest went away. That they were so far south, those witnesses, they were in Cuba. <laughs> right. So um, you said that you were the lieutenant over special investigations. What else did you do in your career up to that point? Were you involved with special operations or SWAT or anything like that? I was. Uh, I was in I was in narcotics for a while, uh, and I was promoted to detective. I was a divisional detective. I made sergeant. I ran a tactical team, uh, but a tactical team was a street level 
crime fighting team mm-hmm. where you were assigned to a police district, you worked directly for a captain, and your job was to follow the crime patterns. And okay. you, you, were to, you were to interrupt those crime patterns. So, you know, sometimes you were in plain clothes. Uh, sometimes you were doing surveillances of places where you suspected based on the crime trends where crime was going to occur. Sometimes you were doing narcotics work. And I had a lot of great young uh, officers that worked for me. Uh, mm-hmm. During the course of my career in Philly, I amassed uh, over 50 departmental commendations, including the Medal of Valor, uh, Medal, Medal of Bravery, and twice for heroism. So I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed every minute up there. It was, uh, it was nonstop. I learned so much that shaped me today. You know, again, I'm a second generation cop. My dad spent 20 years there. Mm-hmm. Then he was a police chief in three other locations for the next 35 years. Oh, wow. He was in a little hamlet outside of Philadelphia, Middletown Township, Bucks County. Then he spent nearly 20 years in Portland, Maine. And then he spent another 14 years in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, which is just outside of, uh, of Philly. He just retired two years ago, uh, 55 years in policing. He started when he was 19. <sighs> That's that's amazing. And my next question was going to be, what made you get into policing in the first place? I, I didn't want anything to do with it. You know, okay. growing, up, growing up, my father was my hero. As a teenager, he was the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. And he will tell you the same thing about me. So <laughs> it was the last thing that I wanted to do. And then, you know, I, you know, I got the, I incompleted out of college my first time, uh, okay. mainly due to beer and women, not, uh, necessarily, sure. not necessarily in that order. And uh, I went to work in the docks in Philadelphia and got married and had a couple kids. And, you know, you, you wake up, you're 22 years old and you're like, you know, I'm making good money, but this is what I want to do the rest of my life. There's got to sure. be more to it than this. So I, I took a bunch of tests because at the time there was really a hiring freeze. There, nobody was hiring. So I took, you know, uh, Pennsylvania State Police, the Philadelphia Police Department, the New Jersey State Police, uh, Camden, Camden, New Jersey. And then eventually my number got called in Philly and, uh, you know, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, I loved every minute of it, uh, there. Gotcha. So when you made the decision to leave, to be the chief out in Oklahoma, was it a job opening that caught your eye or was it you deciding, Hey, you know what? I've done all that I could at this level and it's time to go up. How, how'd you make that decision? I'm embarrassed to tell you that I'm a lieutenant in the homicide division in a city that averages 500 murders a year. And I was bored one night. Wow. I had just graduated. I finally got my bachelor's degree and I went online and I was looking for police chief jobs that would fit my criteria. As a lieutenant, the most people I ever commanded was over 60, you know, four sergeants and everything. So I started looking around the country and started to, to submit resumes. Mm-hmm. But the impetus behind that was about six months earlier, I took the captain's test mm-hmm. and I studied for two years for that sucker. I had the highest written mark in the city. I had a, whatever the mark was. But I got a 99. Five days later, because the test is two components. There's a written test and then there's an oral component where you go right. in front of a, a panel. And so I went from the highest written mark in the city to the lowest oral mark. And I'm like, I didn't get that stupid in five days. <laughs> There's no way that I could get that stupid. So I I said to myself, you know, if you really want to be in command, maybe you take what you learned here and you try to go off and build your own your own organization. And that's what I did. I sent the applications out. You know, I sent out 10, five came back hits. 
five got whittled down to two and I got offered I got offered a job on the same day Shawnee Oklahoma and Hillsborough North Carolina called me on the same day mm-hmm. uh, Shawnee called me at like 10 a.m uh, because they were obviously an hour behind and Hillsborough called me at one o'clock in the afternoon oh wow okay and, and I was like wow and I and I, I took Shawnee because Shawnee was a big was bigger and they were the first ones to call I, you know although Hillsborough paid a lot more money uh, mm. but I, I, you know, I'm not good in math. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> Do like that that. At all. But you know, to become a chief, you have to be. You have to be a chief. Is, is mm. what somebody once told me. So it was like, hey, when you get that first job, nobody really cares how big or small the organization is. The, the thing is, you are now have the title of chief, and when you have that on your resume, when you go to move along, you're going to get looked at a lot differently than a lieutenant is going to get looked at, or a sure. captain is going to get looked at. So that was a great piece of advice that I had. Absolutely. And obviously you did have the leadership going into it. So that, that definitely helped uh, get you kind of rooted. I, in I work, yeah. I work for some incredible men and women in the Philadelphia police department. And you try to take a little bit of each of them and incorporate it into who and what you are, because pound for pound, you know, when you come from these big city departments, resources are scarce. Hmm. So, I mean, I worked with a lot of smart people. I mean, the smartest rank in Philadelphia was probably detective. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of men and women, they take that t- and they never took another exam again because that's where they wanted to be. They wanted to be in plain clothes, doing investigations, and they were smart as really smart, smart people. And you'll learn a lot from that. Yeah, for sure. So, and I'm sure as you transitioned to your first chief position, you took all of that and kind of made it your own and then kind of paved the way since. Right. You walk through the door and, you know, you let everybody know up front that there's a new sheriff in town. This is what I'll stand for. These are things that I won't stand for. So we know up front, there's no discussion. I do not stand for excessive force. I don't, I don't, there's no discussion. There's no reason you can even justify that. That's number one. Number two, you lie, you die. Mm-hmm. You know, you put pen to paper and it's a lie. You can rest assured if I can't process, I'm going to fire you and try to get you prosecuted for that. Because those are the things that destroy uh, community trust in us. You know, if you're brutal, excessive force and lying, just you just can't do it. You can't do it. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, and that's. Not only that, but I mean, the biggest thing we have in law enforcement is our integrity. The moment you break that, there's, you've got nothing. You know, think, I, I, you think of it, you just bring up a great point. That when I, when I swear in new deputies or new officers, I always tell them to look at two things. Look at the patch on your arm. Generations have worn that with honor and pride and integrity to put that there. And then look at that name tag on your shirt. Your family worked generations to make that mean something. Do your best not to dishonor either one of them. Sure, absolutely. And, and that, that's great words of wisdom. And we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. So if you come in and say, man, I screwed up, you're, you're going to survive unless you you know, you know committed a major felony. But you know, for the most part, it's, it's a minor infraction that an officer or deputy does. And then they tell this, you know, Mary had a little lamb story. And you're like, what are you doing? All you had to do was admit that, yeah, you know, I screwed that up. I didn't do this. You, you then told this whole bigger story. And now you're, you're done. You, mm-hmm. you can't testify in court. You have no credibility. Right. You end up making a, a major mountain out of a little molehill that could probably get taken care of. The cover-up's always worse than the crime. Always. No matter what profession you are, the cover-up is always worse than the original incident. 
Absolutely. So as you've had your career span all these many years, what is one of the, or what are some of the biggest things that you've seen change during your career? What have you seen from the job itself and the way the community interacts with the job? What are some of the things you've seen most uh, impactful? Technology. You know, when I started, there were no cell phones. You know, when I went to narcotics in 1993 or 1994, you got a pager. That that was like, oh, my God, <laughs> a pager. What the hell? What the hell is this thing? Uh, you know, DNA, computers in cars, uh, tasers, uh body cameras, uh, you know, I run dispatch now, you, you can video something and send it to the dispatch center that can then re- relate to the responding deputies. I mean, it's mm. just, the technology is unbelievable. Community wise, I, I think that the, the, the communities are much more in tune of what's going on in their police department, their neighborhood because of social media, some mm. of it good, some of it bad. You know, uh, we have to feed that beast constantly. Uh, you know, I have two people that they do, three people, actually. That's all they do is feed the beast of social media. You know, putting out crime alerts, crime videos, uh, reports. You know, you could go on and look at our discipline. You can go on and look at everything that we're doing because we want to be so transparent. On the flip side of that, you get a couple of knuckleheads on there and start posting crazy stuff, and they start a, a community panic. Uh, so that's, that's more difficult. And, uh, but the communities, I think, I think communities still want the same thing. They Mm -hmm. want to be safe. They want transparency and they want accountability. And I think that was the same way in the eighties as we've, uh, as we've progressed race and policing. Uh, you know, I, I, I hearken back to Rodney King, Mm -hmm. uh, prior to Rodney King, there was a lot of time and money invested in Philadelphia. I'm sure every city did this in community policing units, in doing all of these things to build up goodwill in the community. But when something bad happened, you'd still have that goodwill. And right. Rodney King came along and completely wiped that out. It, it, you had to start from ground zero, uh, just as, as, as Mr. Floyd did. Everything that had transpired uh, Ferguson put a hell of a dent in it, and then George Floyd just completely wiped the slate, and everything is now uh, teetered to where you're seeing this defunding movement and uh, right. you know the rioting and, and and all the things that are going on. So it's um, you know it, it has gone full circle. When my father became a cop in 1962, Philadelphia, a section of Philadelphia burned to the ground mm-hmm. from race riots, right. mainly caused by police brutality. Uh, sure. you know, when you when you look at those things, people don't want to face facts that we have a history in this country and some of that history is bad. And you have to admit that, you know, sure. when, you're, sure. when you're turning dogs uh, on peaceful protesters who are protesting for civil rights or you're firing water cannons at them, that's not exactly good community relations. <laughs> no, not at all. Most you know, people proud look that. at that and say... You know, oh my God, this actually occurred in our country. Yeah, it actually did occur in our country and not, and not too much in the recent past. So to police today, you gotta, you have to understand the past. And that's one of the things I'm proud of is we were able to get our own police academy here uh, as the sheriff. I don't rely on the state because here you go to a community college 
that's the police academy you graduate then you get hired and then we retrain you for another 800 hours in the way we do things you only got one shot to do it right so mm -hmm. we're able now my first class graduates next week of 20 individuals 20 outstanding individuals we get to recruit you we pay you from the first day you walk through the doors to come in here mm -hmm. you pay wage you have medical benefits and you're in the pension fund and you're trained oh, wow. through the academy through the academy and you're trained by the best and the brightest that i have mm -hmm. so it's hopeful that we're building a culture you know and part of the, the very first block of training that they get is implicit bias race in america and we start with de-escalation and then everything is built the state curriculum we then build it around those things so they may not realize that they're taking a, a uh, active shooter course that's that's also got a lot of de-escalation in it they may not realize they're taking a search and seizure class but there's a lot of implicit bias inside of that built into that curriculum as well so that when they come out, it's become second nature of how we want things done. Sure. And if you think about it, that's how policing is. Everything is just being built upon that foundation that you have. So if your foundation is shaky, then everything you put on top of it is not going to stand the test of time. And, and that's what concerned me. Even when I was in Daytona and I didn't have that ability, it, you're going to a state college. The state college is there in Florida for one reason and one reason alone. It's there to make money. Right. 40% of the police applicants are unemployable. So you knock that right down. And then you got that 60% that everybody's trying to fight over. And some of those folks, they're not trained the right way. You know, they're, they're taking patrol operations. The guy teaching it hasn't been in a patrol car in 20 years. <laughs> or search and seizures being taught by a detective who has eight complaints against them for guess what? Violating search and seizure. Yeah. yeah. Say to myself, what, are we, what are we doing here? Yeah. It's, it, you're right. And then if you, if you have what you said... And you just start everything the way you want it to be trained and you want it to be um, kind of pr proposed to everybody, then you get to control the outcome, hopefully. You know, body cameras. It, it, the day you walk in the door, you get a body camera. Mm. So for the six to eight months that you're in there, for the six months that you're in training, you're wearing that body camera. You're, you're on off. Well, you're learning the policy and you're getting muscle memory involved. So when you get out into the field training phase, it's second nature. It's not like giving an old dog like me, 34 years, and there's a body camera, you know, I, the wire will be tangled and everything mm -hmm. else. But th that's what we're, that's how we're being trained, you know. Sure. Use of force is clearly they know our policies. Scenario-based training. They're watching videos from around the country and being asked, what, what would you do in this situation? Sure. That's great. But then my only, like, take back from that would be if, does that kind of discourage laterals from maybe other agencies or other jurisdictions coming in because now they've got to you said teach a old dog new tricks do you think that kind of sets them back or do you think you'll be able to assimilate them in i think we're doing a good job assimilating them in because we do have laterals coming in mm -hmm. they're they're two types though they're either really young in their career a couple three four years or they're getting ready to retire and realize that hey i have court deputies that's not a bad gig forty-five thousand mm -hmm. dollars a year car weekends and holidays off to provide courthouse security where do i sign yeah so sure to the two groups that we're, we're seeing with the laterals what hurts us with the laterals here in florida is we're a 30-year pension fund uh -huh. that hurts you know because if you've done six or seven years somewhere else you're like whoa you know the other <laughs> place they're coming from as a 20 or 25 year pension 
here the state pension fund is 30 years for law enforcement you got to like man i got to start all over again for 30 years i don't know if i want to do this and we've lost some really qualified folks who really sat back and did the numbers and said it's not worth starting over at ground zero again sure absolutely that makes sense and the other thing the positive that from what you're saying is how how often do we hear trainees say oh well that's not what i learned at my other agency that not, that's not what i learned at my other agency but now you're basically saying who cares about your old agency this is how we're doing it here and there's no compl- there's no question about it because you are literally taking them from the academy so even a brand new guy is saying well we didn't learn this in the academy well you did in, you did in my house right exactly exactly and we we've had people we've washed out laterals who have come in and said no 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 the way you do active shooters all wrong well I appreciate how you did it in another state. This is the way it's done here. This is the way it's taught here. This is the way you're legally protected here. Sure. So if you can't flush that out of your mind and realize I'm in a different arena, this is the way that we're going to do it. Sure. And and I'm you know you've got the graduating class coming up, so I'm sure you'll see uh, the fruits of your labor. Very. We very just soon. we just got audited by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Audited the class. Mm-hmm. And they they gave us an A plus for the way we're running the academy. So we are stoked. We have a yeah. our second class starts in the third week in January. There's another I think 22. We're just finalizing that class now, uh, and it's 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 a good class. I mean, I have a great mix of young people, former military folks in there. Uh, we're excited. Good, very good. I'm excited to hear that as well. Um, which actually, the last couple of things you said kind of roll into the next question. So we were talking about Rodney King and you were talking about how, uh, well, even before that, we were talking about how dishonesty breaks down the public trust. And while you were talking about Rodney King and the sixties race riots, I was thinking, well, that's kind of destroying the public trust too, having these terrible incidents. And then you brought up George Floyd. So what do we do now? Cause obviously the public trust in policing is probably back at ground zero. What do we do now to try to build back that public trust? How, what, what, how can we do that? And what should we do? Well, I think we need to be as transparent as we can. We need to be accountable as we can. But I think one of the other things, and, and the Florida Sheriff's Association is really leading the charge on this, uh, is, is making sure that all police departments are accredited. Hmm. What that means is bringing in outside assessors, folks that are in the criminal justice system and look at everything you're doing, your policies, your procedures, your training, your discipline, who are you hiring? And interestingly enough, the Minneapolis Police Department is not accredited. Hmm. if, If memory serves me correctly, I don't think anybody in the state of Minnesota is accredited. Hmm. The Sheriff's Association is trying to push for every single sheriff's office to be accredited. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm probably the eighth largest in the state, so I have a pretty hefty budget. It's over $100 million. We are accredited through CALEA, which is the National Council on Law Enforcement Accreditation. They just left here, and we got a 95 out of 100. Uh, and, and, and I was thrilled to death. We've also just got our dispatch center uh, our communication center is, is, was just nationally accredited again. And what that means is, for people that don't know, is that you are meeting or exceeding national standards. And that's, I think, every police executive wants that. And if you find something that's wrong, who cares? We'll fix it. We want those outside eyes focusing in on that. And I think that uh, 
that's a key to let your your folks know that hey we're above them my SWAT team is is nationally certified as well mm -hmm. you know I bring in experts from around the country look at how we're training look at what our tactics are what needs to be done and man they ripped us we thought hey we were wow we're doing it so good we've always done it this way and they came in and they're like hey man let me tell you what you should be doing let me tell you what the industry standard is now let me tell you what equipment you you don't have because when you run that SWAT team out there that SWAT team's really not running out there to take somebody out that SWAT team's really running out there to save lives because they have so much more equipment you know the drones our drone unit is merged with our uh with our SWAT team that's been a huge benefit for us I don't have to insert SWAT operators now these drones fly right in when mm -hmm. they can tell you if somebody's in the attic or or whatever right I'm sure that's amazing as far as officer safety and even uh, public safety too it, it, the safety of the bad guy you know sometimes the, the drone goes in there and they communicate and the bad guy comes out of course it sounds like a thousand bees are in there with some of them <laughs> with the humming and everything yeah well that that might be a uh kind of a motivation for the guy to come out maybe he's afraid of bees and that's yeah exactly you never know <laughs> so on the flip side so I, I agree with everything you said about kind of regaining the public trust i don't think this is where we're at right now i don't think this is something that coffee with a cop is going to fix by itself i think the transparency and the the great thing about social media is that you can have the transparency like it, it allows for so much more to be seen and and explained what about officers? Right now, you know, you see all across the country, officers are leaving, officers are disenfranchised with the job. What what are you doing to entice people to come back in and keep the ones you have? Great question. We are lucky here in Volusia County and Florida in particular. We have an overwhelming support system in, in Volusia County. I mean, for every bad email I get where a deputy does something stupid, I bet you I get 10 or 15 praising that uh you know they're looking to feed us we just had two canines shot uh the outpouring of support for those canines and their handlers in our organization has been incredible you know iron there's a company in uh, atlanta iron canine dog uh the, the next morning when i get all my emails they email me and tell me they're going to pay for the medical care of my canines to get them oh, back wow. whatever they i mean and then they outpouring support from the community there so that that means a lot but you also have to be prepared where the rubber meets the road and we just signed a uh union contract a three-year contract that basically gave pretty hefty pay raises mm -hmm. uh, and it got us into the market value for central florida there's some places i can't compete with i can't compete with orange county or orlando they just knock our socks off sure but we are in that in that upper median range uh that that means a lot our benefits and pay still deputies still leave they still go into the private sector you know after a tragic incident like uh daytona beach police officer jason rayner was shot in the head during a, a pedestrian investigation and, and later died of his injuries you, you see people leave the profession because it's like you know what uh, this isn't really worth it at the end of the day Sure. So you're never up to full speed. You have to constantly keep your foot down on recruiting and retention. But if you're if you're paying a decent wage and you have uh, decent benefits and you have good leadership and you have good community support, when I say good leadership, I'm distracting myself from that equation. You know, I have really good sergeants and lieutenants and, and a command staff that make this place what it is. People want to work for you. And, and our applications, I mean, 
you know, we're we're pushing almost 700 applications since March. Wow. That we don't get we didn't get 700 in my first four years of sheriff. <laughs> sure, sure. So we got our own academy. So we're we're doing something right. The question is finding the right person that we want uh, in here. Right, for sure. You got to make sure you're attracting the good apples, not the bad apples. But it sounds like you've got quite the way to weed them all out, whether it's going to be the background process or even the academy itself. There's no x-ray to look into somebody's soul. And I tell people this all the time, like, you know, we had a deputy that I fired. It was a shaken down uh, drunk driving motorist. He was actually robbing them. Mm. Uh, he would lock him up for DUI. And they're like, well, you know, didn't you see this or see that? I said, listen, I didn't hire the guy, number one. But number two, I don't have an x-ray machine that can look into your soul and say, are you a bigot? Are you brutal? Are you a liar? Are you a thief? I, I don't I don't have that. I, you can look good on paper. And then when sure. you get out on the street, you're, it's something completely different. And I always tell people, please remember that. You know, you have bad doctors. You have bad pastors. You have bad lawyers. Sure. People innately are bad. So some of them put badges and guns on yeah, absolutely. And not only that, but if you have someone who may have these these negative tendencies, well, a position of power is really going to flush that out. And you can't see that until you give them that chance, unfortunately. And that's the beauty with our academy because they're under, we have them 10 hours a day, mm-hmm. five days a week for six months. The other way where you go through the state academy, I only maybe get to see them if I have uh, one of my deputies is instructing in a class. That's the only real contact we have. But here, you know, they do PT together. They have lunch together. You know, they're in class together. They do special projects together in the, in the community, uh, community cleanups or whatever we're doing. So you're observing them in all different facets of life as opposed to just that classroom setting. Sure. And I, I think that's great. And that's something you want to figure out before they get 10-8, before they're on the road and they can either put yourself as a liability or themselves. Right. Exactly. So that that's all great things. What is your opinion on, you know, we've seen, especially the past year and a half, weak law enforcement leadership where they're just, you know, they're, they're falling down at the will of the mob. Uh, what is your opinion on it? And what can you kind of give as uh, guidance, I guess, to other leaders to, to make them stronger leaders and, and build and maintain good uh, organizations? Well, I'll start with a police chief having been a police chief and uh, for 10 and a half years and having served in a municipal police department, the police chief is his, his, his or her survival is based on the mayor and the city commission, city council. So however that wind is blowing for the most part, that police chief has to go with the prevailing wind. Mm -hmm. They can stand up on their own two feet occasionally but they're going to have their policy. You're going to have to mirror that of the elected officials for the, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And if they want to survive, that's what they have to do. Where the sheriff, on the other hand, the sheriff in, in, in constitutional states, meaning that your power is derived from the people and the constitution of your state, like Florida and Arizona and California, those sheriffs are backed by the community. So the, the only people that could fire a sheriff is the voters. Mm-hmm. And the sheriff's got four years to do what the sheriff wants to do. So there's more uh, there's more autonomy as a sheriff because you can do what you need to do and give that pushback sure. where a police chief may submit a plan to the mayor and say, I'll, I'll pick on my former 
city of Philadelphia, which burnt to the ground, you know, last June, you know, the, the chief could go in and say, Mayor, here's what we're doing. I'm calling all resources in. We're going to have the right. We're going to do this. We're, we're going to have zero tolerance. Anybody throws a rocket, they're getting locked up. And the mayor says, whoa, 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 slow down. Whoa, we're not doing that. Take this plan back. And, and this is what I want done. So now you either go back or quit. Sure. That's the option you're left. Right. So that that actually goes back to the political leaders then. Like you said, the, the elected officials for these cities, uh, they're really the ones that kind of bear the blame, so to speak, for why, you know, departments stand down. And, and, and prosecutors. You know, again, I'll go back to what I know best, Philadelphia. You know, you've got a prosecutor. Who, who basically ratcheted down the gun law, just focus on violent crime. You know, you've got convicted felons that are out there in possession of a firearm or have used a firearm that get minimal prosecution. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you ask why the number of homicides in Philadelphia, and you're using Philadelphia as an example, like Chicago and, and, and New York, why? Because you're not, you're, you, you have no will from the mayor, you have no will from an elected prosecutor, you know, they want to dummy these things down. You, you can't do that. And I, and I think we're, it's starting to come home to roost now. You know, sure. all this defund the police, defund the police. And now what, what, what's happening in cities like Portland and Minneapolis? Holy shit, we can't do that. You know, we right. actually need the police. Yeah, no kidding. We all knew that. But yeah. you know, you've got to have, you got to stand up. It, you know, one of the things I learned as a young cop that when you show up at a, at a scene of a, of a domestic or something's going on, normally the person screaming the loudest and demanding whatever is doing that because they got something to hide, and they're and they're forcing you to take your eye off the ball with it, with these annex. And that's what I see. This small group is doing all the screaming and hollering, and they're taking they're trying to get you to take your eye off of the ball. What's really yeah. important? Oh, and they're being successful at it. Yeah, they are, and that that's amazing. That was that was an amazing thing to say. That and you're absolutely right. And through my experience on the street, that's exactly how it is on the street too. So when you take that and balloon it to the, to, you know, national issues or whatever. It's exactly how it is. That's, that's a great point. Um, so you touched on something about prosecution and I was going to bring that up. One of, uh, one of the videos I watched of yours prior to our conversation today, you were getting on the juvenile justice system, mm-hmm. uh, following one of your deputies getting shot at by two juveniles. And you've also talked about how the prosecution has let you down based on, different sentences and things like that. Can you kind of touch on that? Like what, what, is, what is the problem and you know, what, what's happening? What has happened is juvenile justice reform, which started, in my opinion, which started off as a good thing, you know, a juvenile shouldn't make a mistake at 15 or 16 to be sentenced to life in prison. You know, no juvenile should be put to death, but they have to be held accountable. You know, I'll give you an example of, of one we have right now. We have a 13-year-old who poses on TikTok with his friends with a plethora of firearms, racking them, pointing them, and threatening his classmates. I want to put this mm-hmm. cap in here, this pool, and we get the case, and the kid is given a 250-word essay about what it means to be a law-abiding citizen. That, that was his penalty. Six months later, he's in a narcotics transaction and he shoots his customer. And I'm saying to myself, we are here because you gave this kid a two 13 year olds do not get on TikTok with a plethora of weapons and their friends talking about how they're going to go in 
and they got a hit list of the kids they don't like in their school. And you know they're real guns and they're racking and playing everything. And and I sit back and I and I shake my head. We have a we have a homicide that we're investigating. A 16-year-old was killed in the back of a car. Two people that were in that car are both convicted felons, both 16 years old, uh, of violent crimes who were on a curfew. They weren't supposed to be out on the street. Well, they were out on the street and they're driving and this poor kid's in the car with them. This kid's a, a star athlete. He's an honor student. In with the wrong crowd. Somebody throws a bottle. Next thing you know, gunshots ring out. And this poor kid is dead. And we can't get any cooperation from the two in the car. Why are they out? Who's monitoring them? We're on curfew. And then with, with our incident with the 12-year-old and the 14-year-old that walk away from a group home and then it wound up engaging us in a gun battle, uh, you know, they, they in, their, in their statements to detectives, they were telling us they, they, they were playing this like it was Grand Theft Auto. They thought breaking into a home, getting firearms and shooting at the cops was like Grand Theft, Theft Auto. The 14-year-old has been Baker acted, which in Florida is for, you know, mental. If you have mental problems, you get taken and you get put into a secure facility to be examined. She's been Baker acted 10 times in 14 years of life. Mm-hmm. At what point does the system say, we got to really help this kid before sure. we turn her loose on society? And the 12-year-old, that kid, his, uh, one of his foster parents called me and the woman was like, I've been doing this a long time. I have never come across a kid who has his behavioral and mental problems are so severe, he belongs to be into, into institutionalized. He needs 24-7 care. I am not surprised he shot at you, and I would not be surprised if he ends up killing somebody or being a mass shooter because the kid's just one of those people that pulls wings off flies and sets animals on fire, hmm. you know, and the system can't handle that. And that's what really bothers me with the juvenile justice system. I call it, it's, uh, it's disjointed, uh, jumbled, and I forget what the other J I use for DJJ. <laughs> it's just, I, I just sit back and you just shake your head. They have this, this score sheet where yeah. kids are committing gunpoint robberies and they get held 21 days in jail and they get sent home on a curfew and, you know, an essay. Well, newsflash, they wouldn't be out robbing the convenience store at 2 a.m. What good's the curfew doing? Their parents can't <laughs> keep them in there. Right. Yeah, for so, sure. And it just endangers the community. Nobody wants to hear it. All they're worried about is, you know, uh, civil citations. Give them a civil citation. Well, that's great if they stole a candy bar. Right. You know, but these kids aren't them. stealing candy bars. That's what, that's what we're focusing on. We're focusing on the violent crime and you can't you have to distinguish that they have to be held accountable they have to realize that there's consequences for their results and then you you do the reform side of juvenile justice but they have to realize that you know going out and robbing somebody point a gun robbing a convenience store thinking well it's it's just like playing a video game no it's not the real world <laughs> right right and that's that's something that needs to be done and and you can even take that to our adult justice system, because with all the bail reforms and bond reforms that are going on, you're, you're kind of sending out these repeat offenders to re-victimize our law-abiding citizens. You just saw it in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. You just saw it. And that You couldn't have timed this any better. Mm-hmm. You just saw it. You know, I, I have, we have two homicides in June. Uh, both, hom- both killers were recent prison releases for violent crime. And you say to yourself, uh, one was a home invasion robbery with shots fired at the, at the victim, and one was a straight-up shooting. And within 30 days of being released, they committed 
murder. Yeah. And, and my question is, and I'm no sociologist, but my thing is, you know, what do we do? How do we, cause at, at some point, and you look at these people's rap sheets and they're, they're long, all they know is being institutionalized. So then when they get released, all they know is to commit crimes, to get back into the institution. So the question is, what do we do? And I, I mean, you may not have an idea, but you know, what do you have a, you know, what do we do to try to do this? I may be kind of asking for the stars here. Well, I, I operate, this is very generic, the 80-20 rule. 20% of the individuals commit 80% of the crimes. Mm-hmm. So if you could figure out a way to deal with that 20% through incarceration, through intense probation and parole when they get out, because that's where, normally where the weakness is, that there's nothing there once they serve their time. Okay, now you're out. What type of supervision what type of structure that person go into? Because I think there are studies that show if you can get somebody in intensive PMP, in intensive supervision, the odds of them uh, reoffending drop dramatically, dramatically. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but absolutely. It's, I don't, it's unfortunately, and I think we've built such a uh, hug a thug, I've heard that before, society right now, where it's like, all right, now, how do we flip the stri- flip the script? And like you said, when we were talking about the big cities, I feel like the public is starting to realize that the police aren't the issue here. And hopefully they'll start to vote out these, these weak prosecutors, these weak, weak politicians, and we can start regaining control of our streets. Cause I mean, that's who speaks for the victim. I mean, that's what I was say. Who speaks for the, everybody's so worried about the bad guy. How about this poor person who was beat half to death? Mm-hmm. Or was stabbed or shot or the, the mother, you know, that's out unloading her car and there's a drive-by shooting and she's dead, mm-hmm. and, you know, with three young kids. What about who speaks for them? You know, or right. people that go to work every day, no matter what the color of their skin, they have a right to be safe and secure in their homes. They shouldn't come home and have everything they work for stolen or their car stolen or drug deals going on nonstop on their street. It shouldn't be allowed. Right, right. And the drug deals, you know, and a lot of people get it, especially my audience, but a lot of people get that drug deals don't end at drug deals because eventually it'll lead to the shootings. It'll lead to things that are more violent. And that's the problem. Hey, the 13-year-old I just told you about, mm-hmm. he was selling marijuana. And people tell you, marijuana, nobody, there, there's no violence cir- circulating around marijuana. There's violence circulating around drug dealing. No matter what it is, drug dealers can't get life insurance. And drug dealers are always going to carry a gun to protect themselves. Sure. But the other thing, too, for, for your listeners is, you know, uh, the days of the street sales where you would say, I know what they're doing, they have diminished greatly because of the Internet. I yeah. mean, you could buy fentanyl from China, get it shipped to your house, repackage it and sell it over the dark web and never, ever go out on the street. Never go out. Just bring the fentanyl in, remail it back out. And that, and we've seen that and you've seen it, too, on the dark web. Uh, you know, we had a, a multi-million dollar ring here being run by a 22 year old. Mm. You know, we don't know how many people he killed. Uh, we just had a uh, overdose death that they were able to prosecute from somewhere in the Midwest to link the heroin and fentanyl that this guy bought in Deltona, Florida, came from somewhere in Illinois, I think, or Wisconsin. They were able to link that. They were able to link what he was doing on the dark web to five deaths throughout the country. That's insane. And I, I saw something once uh, I was taking an interdiction course or something where it said every dime bag you see is the part is one part of an international drug conspiracy. And when you think of it that way, you know, you know look at fentanyl, for example, fentanyl doesn't grow. You can't grow fentanyl. Fentanyl's made in a lab. 
And the number one exporter of the components of fentanyl is China. And, you know, in July, I got to go down to the border to McAllen, Texas. It was me mm -hmm. and four other sheriffs got to go down there. And the amount of drugs that's being seized coming through that border, it's not all drugs from Mexico. It's other countries putting it in there and then they're taking it through. I mean, it, it's amazing to watch what's going on down there, plus the human trafficking that's going sure, on. Sure. It's just, oh my God, we're under, we're under, it's a war down there is what it is. Yeah. And you think of every, you know, every bundle that they seize, think of all the bundles that they miss, because that's just the name of the game as well. And, and the violence that goes on down there. We got to see a, uh, Homeland Security got to show us two videos. And one of the videos was of two, two rival drug gangs. And one of the videos, there's a, a guy and they lay him across the table and there's one person holding each appendage mm -hmm. and they get a knife and they cut the guy's heart out. and they're talking in spanish so i really don't understand what you're saying but homeland security's telling us he was a rival drug dealer they cut his heart out and facebook lied it and then after they cut his heart out and showed everybody when it was beating they then took a samurai sword and cut his head off what people need to remember is those drug deal those drug cartels that are operating within a half a mile of our border they are coming into our country to protect their investment mm -hmm. and their investment are the kilos and bales and bales and bales of dope that's coming into our cities across the country. And if they're going to do that to a rival drug dealer in their country, what are they going to do to a rival drug dealer in our country? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And that's something that I'm sure no one thinks about because why would they, I mean, that's not something that's presented to them and you know, it's the borders probably in the back of a lot of people's minds. And it's something very important that we as Americans need to keep in our mind and, and every, all this evil that is coming in basically undetected. Hey, and, and, and they're, they're embedding themselves with people who are coming here to seek the American dream. Right. You know, that's what they're embedding themselves in there. And, and like I said, we're down there and you might get 250 or 300 migrants and they know where to go because the border patrol has signs up. Once you cross the Rio Grande, they, they tell you, follow the arrow and you sit there and we'll be by to pick you up. Well, when all the resources are concentrated there, they're floating across tons and tons of, of illegal narcotics, and they have runners ready to pick it up and take off and just get, get it right into the country from there. Crazy. And I saw Governor DeSantis saying that a lot of it's coming straight down to Florida. Now that's just kind of the way it's going. It, just, it, it, it comes right in. And I can tell you, just in my small world, Marion County uh, seizes uh like 10 kilos of heroin and fentanyl it's got a, a stamp on it that traces back to a cartel which is on the other side of mccullen texas mm -hmm. there's a, a, a triple homicide in putman county which is the, they're both just north of me and the shooters are from volusia county so there's drugs from right where i was that were imported into marion county that as a result of the seizure three people get killed and the shooters are from volusia touching all those counties yeah. so people say it doesn't affect me Yes, it affects you. It does, and and it's in our communities. I mean, you know, you've got small communities, you've got larger communities, the big cities, and it, it's just integrated completely. So I always, it 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 kind of turns my skin when someone says that drugs are a victimless crime. It is most definitely not. And you know, the stories you just ask, told are ask these families who've lost a loved one to fentanyl if it's victimless. 
the, 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 the kids that are lost their mother or their father uh, because of it, the, the mother and father lost their son or their daughter. We're, we're averaging around 300 overdose deaths a year here in Volusia County. And, and, and we, we can't even get a handle on the overdoses because, you know, fire goes out and does their thing. We do our thing. And then there's people who have Narcan at home yeah. and are saving their loved ones. So there's no, we, we're, we're probably pushing 3,000 overdoses and 300 overdose deaths a year. And that number 3,000 is probably low. Right, because what, what isn't reported at that point? What isn't reported, exactly. So uh, it, it's unfortunate. Hopefully something will change and, and we can kind of get a handle on it. Sheriff, this has been absolutely amazing. I, I again, want to thank you for it. Um, I did have some listener questions that I was able to like work into what we already spoke about. So I want to thank you for answering those as well. Uh, we're going to wrap up right now, but first... Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to play a little like hit and run kind of thing. Uh, I'll ask you a question and then just without thinking too much about it, give me your answer. Okay. All right. So the first ones we got are called overrated, underrated. I will give you a topic and you tell me if it's overrated, underrated, or if it's right where it needs to be. Okay. All right. So the first one's going to be night shift. Underrated. Okay. Oh, I was a night shift. I loved it. I spent my first five years working midnight to eight. It was the greatest show on earth. Very cool. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's that's like the backbone of policing. That's where you get Absolutely. to do most of your stuff. Uh, what about the Crown Victoria? Crown Vic. Overrated. Okay. I, I agree completely, and I, I'm, I'm glad we agree on that one. What about uh, off-duty jobs or overtime? Uh, overtime is right where it needs to be. I was a uh, I was an overtime whore. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that one. Um, all right. Going away from law enforcement, what do you think about s'mores? S'mores? Uh, I would say they're overrated. Okay. I agree with you on that one as well. Uh, what about going to see a movie? Overrated. Yeah. Especially nowadays where you can stream everything that's in the theater anyway. And, and you, in the privacy and comfort of your own home, you want a beer, you want to get up and do something, you're good to go. <laughs> exactly. You don't have to step over anybody to go to the bathroom. For sure. And at my age, I'll tell you, you go to the bathroom more than you would like to go to. <laughs> of course. And you can pause it so you don't miss. Exactly. Listening. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. This next section is this or that. So I'll give you something. Tell me which one you like more. Uh, dogs or cats? Dogs. Do you own any? No, I'm never okay. home. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, coffee or energy drinks? Coffee. How do you take it? Black. Okay. Uh, patrol or specialized units? Patrol. Okay. Uh, burgers or tacos? Burgers. All right. And the last one for this section, would you rather ride in the train Dance in the rain or feel no pain. <laughs> Say that again. Ride the train. Ride in a train. Okay. Uh, dance in the rain or feel no pain. Dance in the rain. Okay. And now these last section, these are kind of more open-ended questions. We'll go with what is your dream vacation destination? Dream destination vacation. I would say Maui. Okay. Have you ever been before? Yes. Okay. Very nice. What is something that you love that everyone hates? Old movies. Okay. Okay. I, I think some of them are, I, I went to film school many years ago, so I have a great appreciation for older movies. My, um, my girlfriend and my kids, when I put on American movie classics, they'd leave the room. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Why do you have to watch something from the 1930s? Right. Right. It, it's some of the, some of the best stuff right there. Exactly. <laughs> what is something that you hate that everyone loves? Hmm. That's a, that's a tough one there. I don't know. That's a good one. Okay. 
I don't. I can't. Really, I can't really pick one. That I'm okay, out. that's fine. Uh, what's your favorite donut flavor? Chocolate. Okay, uh, like the chocolate cake or like chocolate chocolate frosted. Chocolate frosting, chocolate, anything chocolate. You can okay. if you can get the if you can get the chocolate and shape it like a donut, we're in. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, if you were walking into the biggest moment of your life, uh, you're walking in to give a big speech or whatever. What song do you want playing? I would want playing "My Way" by Frank Sinatra. Okay, like that one. Uh, what's the best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? Treat everyone the way you and your family want to be treated. Very good. That goes back to almost the golden rule. Yep. Um, what's one of your most embarrassing bonehead rookie cop mistakes? Oh. Uh, I will tell you that it was the first time I took fingerprints. Mm-hmm. Went to a burglary and it was a, it was a sliding glass door and did everything you were supposed to do. Got a perfect hit, perfect lift. And two days later, a teletype comes over that the prince you lifted belonged to patrolman Michael J. Chitwood, batch number 2021. <laughs> and and it, it doesn't come to you. It's a teletype that the whole goddamn place knows you lifted your own fingerprint. Yeah, yeah, that's, yep, I'm guilty of the exact same thing. So I understand. Um, all right. So I, I've kind of, I've went away from this question, but you brought up movies. What is your favorite movie? My favorite movie is there's actually there's two. The Man okay. Who Would Be King uh, is the first one. That was uh, Sean Connery and Michael Caine. It's a about it's a Roger Kipling play, and then the second one is Gunga Din. Okay, very good. Uh, it's uh, Earl, not Earl Flynn, Victor McLaughlin, Cary Grant, and uh, Douglas Fairbanks. Very nice. Uh, what is your proudest moment in law enforcement? Proudest moment in law enforcement will probably be. Uh, my first commendation. Okay. What was that for? Uh, myself and my partner, who is now uh, runs the AG's office in, in Philadelphia, uh, we were driving down the street. We were getting ready to get off duty. And this guy comes running at us. His pants are all ripped. It's 630 in the morning. And he's like, I just got robbed. I just got robbed. And, they, and then there they go. And uh, my partner who was a lot smarter than I was. He jumps out of the car. He grabs the female. It was a male. It was a male and female. I, with no radio, uh, go after the male and chase him for seven blocks with no radio through the oh, projects wow. upstairs. And then finally he turns. I'm like, man, this is not going to be good. We're all alone <laughs> in the stairwell. No radio. He was huge. And he said, he just put his hands up and said, I give up. I'm going to die. And he just collapsed the floor, <laughs> just rolled over and handcuffed him. Like, thank God. Thank God. <laughs> Seven block chase with no radio. And we got, it was, it was then, it was a medal of, uh, no, it was a, a merit commendation because it was a quote unquote site robbery arrest. Okay. Very good. That sounds good. Um, let's see. I want to get a good one here. If you could tell someone, one person, one thing about your career that they misunderstand, what would it be? I would tell them that don't confuse my passion. For the for my way I pursue my career, with my compassion for my career. Okay. If that makes sense, people yep. see you and they think you're this hard charger, and I hear that all the time. You really don't give a shit. You're just a hard ass. No, no, it's the opposite. I I'm going to pursue you if you break the law with everything I've got. After we, you're held accountable, I'll be the first person to, to, to want to see you succeed after you've made. An error, and it, God forbid, yeah. if anybody needs help, you know, cost. We're we're here for you, no matter what sure. it is. 
Sure. It's a, it's a game. And, and when you lose one round of the game, then we're, we're, we're racking up for round two. That's right. kind of how it is. Whether, you know, you're on the, the other side of the law or whatever it is. I think that's a great way to put it. Um, let's see. What's your favorite or go-to late night snack? Uh, oatmeal raisin cookies. Okay. All right. And I've got two more questions for you. The last one, or second to last one is if you were stuck in a foxhole, who would you want to be trapped with to help you get out? Kim Kardashian. <laughs> there you go. And the last question. And if she's not, if she's not available, Courtney. Okay. And the final question, Sheriff, if you could share a meal with one person dead or alive that you never met, who would it be? And what would you order? If I could share a meal dead or alive, it would be uh, Jesus Christ. And it would be uh, raviolis with meat sauce. Very good. Very good. Sheriff Chitwood, that concludes our interview today. I really appreciate your time and, and kind of playing along with me. Oh, one other question to go all the way back to the beginning. Did you guys ever catch the serial killer? We didn't. West Palm did. Okay. Uh, 14 years later, there was a body found on the side of the road in West Palm, and it was a prostitute who had been strangled. They were able to extract DNA from underneath of her fingernails, mm. her DNA, the DNA they extracted from her matched the DNA to our uh, murder victims back in 05 and uh, 06. What was interesting was he had changed his modus operandi. He mm. went from using a Smith & Wesson 40 caliber handgun to using his hands. Mm. Turns out he was a Bethune-Cookman University criminal justice major. Go so we don't know how many other women, because he knew, you know, it became public early that it, it was that the certain kind of gun was used. We were able to trace it back to him buying it after the fact. His DNA was left behind. So there's no doubt being a criminal justice major that he reinvented himself as a killer. We just don't know how many other murder victims mm. could be out there where there's wow. no DNA and the woman was, was strangled to death or suffocated or whatever. Very interesting. And um, if someone listening, they've hear, heard you kind of give your spiel all this, this past hour, if they want to go work for the Volusia County Sheriff's Office, how do they get in contact and get that process started? Go right to the Volusia County Sheriff's Office website. It's all right there. You can download a preliminary application. You'll, you kick it in. We'll approve it. We'll send you back the 60-page PDQ, which you have to really in-depthly fill out. And then and you're on your way. We're taking apps all the time. Volusia County is a great place to live and work. And you you said you do take laterals? We do take laterals. You do the same exact thing. You just have to go through it. And then, of course, that's a little different uh, because we have to make sure that your training meets Florida Department of Law Enforcement standards so you can get a waiver, and then your academy is only two weeks. Gotcha. Okay, that's great to hear. Sheriff Chitwood, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. It was fun. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your listeners. Yes, you too. Take care. Take care. And now the end is near And so I face the final curtain My friend, I'll say it clear I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I traveled each and every highway 
much more than this I did it my way Regrets I've had a few Once again, special again, thanks to the sheriff for that, for his time, for his knowledge and his conversation. Hey, if you've got a boss, if you've got a sheriff, a chief, anybody that you think they would be able to chat with me and you, you know, if, Hey, let's, let's call a spade a spade here. If you've got a boss that represents what you think law enforcement's all about, give me their information. I will do my best to, to convince them to be on the show because that's what I'm about here. You know, promoting good leadership, promoting good law enforcement culture. That's that's it. You know, I, I made a post this past week saying we do this to ourselves. We do. We we set ourselves up for failure. There's no reason why the culture has to be toxic. And I think, you know, as much as we MF the toxicity, we need to start promoting the good shit that's out there. So if you've got a boss that I should talk to, let me know. Or if you're close enough with your boss to show him my show and be like, hey, hey, boss, would you want to be on this show? Let's see what we can do, man. I'm, I'm all about it. I kind of get um, worried, you know, that a, that a sheriff or a chief would, you know, not want to do this. I, I try to keep this as professional as possible, but also accessible as possible, you know. So just an idea. So uh, now we're going to go on to the next part of the show. Uh, once again, if, if this is your first time checking out the show, you wanted to hear what the sheriff had to say and you're still with us thank you very much um before i bore you guys talking about christmas movies please be sure to rate review subscribe and share this episode with your friends your buddies your co-workers anybody that you think might want to hear it uh it promotes my show it promotes every endeavor that i'm working on currently so please do that um i also have a merch store it's 10-8 memes all spelled out dot ecwid.com Uh, I'm looking to get rid of most of my merchandise. So actually, you know what? Today, starting today, if you go to my store and you make an an order, before you press submit payment, enter this discount code. Enter 108-T-E-N-E-I-G-H-T, no spaces, in the discount code. And I'm going to give you 40% off and free shipping. That's right. 40% off, free shipping. That's what you're going to get. For this week only, from um, d- December 9th to seven days from right now, I'll give you free shipping. Free shipping and 40% off. I, I need this stuff gone. I want to make new purchases, you know, m- new merch for you guys, but I can't do it with all the surplus. So go do that. Now, speaking about the season of giving, let's talk Christmas movies. I love Christmas movies. I love Christmas. It's always been just the time of year where I just... You know, I kind of, it's so easy to get upset this time of year for one reason or another, money, family, whatever. It's so easy, you know, stresses, but music, the Christmas music and the Christmas movies always do it for me. When I, before I was a cop, me and my nieces and nephews, we would watch movies almost every day through December. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and talk about some of my favorite Christmas movies. And, you know, if you haven't watched it in a while, or if you've never seen it, which would be shocking, this is your chance to be like, wow, I'm going to go check that out tonight. So from today till uh, the Christmas episode, we're going to talk Christmas movies. So today we're going to talk about um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which actually I haven't watched. Like that, That's one of the newer Christmas movies that I found, which is crazy because it's from the 80s. But 
you know, it just wasn't something that I always watched growing up. Um, so we're going to talk about that with my buddy Frank Castle in just a few. Uh, but I also want to talk about Jingle All the Way. All right, Jingle All the Way is one of my favorite Christmas movies. It's ridiculous. It's got Sinbad. It's got Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, it's got Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd played Anakin Skywalker in the in the prequel movie in uh, Phantom Menace. Which, do yourself a favor, go Google Jake Lloyd today. Crazy man, my, my man went off the deep end. Child actors, man, they've got it tough. They do, and he's he's probably. I mean, he's been in jail a bunch of times. He's got mental issues going on. I don't know if that was before acting, like, and it just kind of manifest or did the acting trigger it. I don't know, but. If you've never seen Jingle All the Way, it is the story of Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's a dad. He's so there's a typical trend in Christmas movies, in in modern Christmas movies, where the dad is kind of aloof. He's not around. Um, you know, work is all important, and then he's got to make it up to his kid. Uh, we're going to talk about the Santa Claus in a few weeks. Uh, probably my number two favorite Christmas movie. But so you've got you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger. So. He, he's obviously been busy. He, he misses his son's karate class, all this stuff. And then his wife's like, hey, it's okay. Just, you know, we'll make it up to him because you got him his favorite toy for Christmas, right? Which is a, it was an action figure. It's big during the, uh, the Power Rangers thing, which Power Rangers was my thing growing up. Let me tell you, I was, I was a Red Ranger. I'm going to post a picture of me in the Red Ranger costume in a few weeks. Um, I was, I was, the, I was, man, I was a Power Ranger. You know what I'm saying? So I understand this. But back to the movie. So, of course... Arnold Schwarzenegger did not get the toy, and now we are Christmas Eve, and you know what? What are we gonna do? We gotta we gotta find this hot toy. Think of like the Tickle Me Elmo craze, the Cabbage Patch Kid craze. If you're you know uh, older than than I am, I I didn't I didn't experience Cabbage Patch Kids, but it was my sister's thing. Um, but now Christmas Eve, I gotta find this toy because you know I, I gotta make it up to my kid because I suck as a dad. So he does, and the whole movie is him trying to find this toy. He enters sweepstakes, giveaways, and it's ridiculous. And, you know, people criticize the movie saying, oh, it's talking about materialism, and that's not what Christmas is all about. First off, first off, that's what Christmas has become about. But there is a heartwarming story throughout it. Basically, you know, the kid gets pissed at him sometime because before he leaves to go buy it, you know, he, the dad says, hey, yeah, no, I got the toy. I got to go get it at my office. And well, that's, that's the story. That's what he tells his wife. And it's, you know, he tells his kid, you know, I'll be right back. And he takes forever and he's got to make it in time for this parade. And, you know, which parents, you know, you, you lie to your kids during Christmas time. <laughs> just, just saw this thing on Facebook where it, anyway, um, white lies, no, no big deal. Trying to keep the, um, the magic alive. No problem. Um, but anyway, yeah, so the criticism the movie gets is that it makes it so materialistic. But it's actually, it's a satire. You know, it's trying to say how ridiculous are we as a society. Uh, Sinbad's in it. Sinbad is hilarious. He plays a crazy mailman who's doing the exact same thing. He's, you know, mailmen, they work uh, around the clock, especially around Christmas. So he didn't get a chance to go buy his kid the same toy because it's a hot toy. Um, and he's got some backstory in there about how, oh, I didn't get the toy I wanted when I was a kid and now I'm a mailman and I'm kind of crazy and I'm drinking in the middle of the day at a, at a coffee shop, whatever. It, it's ridiculous. It's supposed to be ridiculous when you, when you look at it as a satire, but it's great. You got Phil Hartman, rest in peace. He plays the neighbor for absolutely no reason. And you know, he's trying to, um, get with Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife. Uh, so many great Arnold Schwarzenegger quote quotes 
comes from this movie. If you if you've never seen this movie, shame on you. You got to go do that tonight. Like this is this is one of the best. So, uh it's amazing. He at one point he's drinking beer with a reindeer. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh there was some sequel they came out a couple years ago with Larry the Cable Guy. I I don't acknowledge its existence. It doesn't exist to me. Um so don't worry about that. If you type in Jingle all the way and you start seeing Larry the Cable Guy, no, wrong one, you got duped. Find the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sinbad, Phil Hartman, uh, Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd is, I don't think he's related to Eric Lloyd, who is the kid of um, the Santa Claus. But, um, yeah, so great, great movie. You guys got to check it out. So there you go. Eight and a half minutes on Jingle All the Way. Now, let's go ahead. We're going to go grab Frank Castle, my buddy. And we're going to do about 10 minutes talking about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Another great Christmas movie. All right, so you've got your Santa hat on. I just brewed a cup of uh, peppermint mocha coffee. We're in the Christmas mood. we got Frank Castle here. What's going on, buddy? What's up? You on, you on the naughty list or the night list? Or the nice list, man? Definitely naughty. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel, like, I feel like you were just here. Yeah, twice in one week. I mean, shit, I didn't think you'd be able to fit me in. That's what she said. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, and stand by because I've got we're planning the Jersey Boys Christmas party at the end of the at the end of the month. So hopefully you get you get a double dose of that too. So yeah. Tis the season to receive. <laughs> but this is uh this is gonna be a hit and run, hit it and quit it kind of thing, because uh, we're just gonna chat a little bit about uh, some Clark Griswold and uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So, you like that movie? Christmas Vacation, easily one yeah. of my top three Christmas movies. What would the other two be? Obviously, Die Hard, uh-huh. and then uh, Jingle All the Way. Okay, okay, which I just talked about. Nice. Um, so I, I, I told people I was going to do this little like movie review thing about Christmas movies and like, oh, so you're doing Die Hard, right? And I'm like, listen, if I do Die Hard and I don't do it right, I'm going to get canceled by the entire law enforcement community. So I took a pause on Die Hard, took yeah, a pause on Die Hard. I went to the more traditional Christmas movies, the ones with Santa, the ones with, you know, that stuff. Not well, there's that another, there's another Christmas movie with Arnold end of days. I mean, it's set during Christmas, but it's not, <laughs> I mean, you know, Satan comes we, on earth and it's just chaos. We, but, uh, and you saw, we talked about, uh, Batman Returns. I mean, that takes place during Christmas. It's literally during a Christmas tree lighting ceremony that the movie starts. Yeah. But again, we're not talking, we're talking more traditional Christmas movies. Um, no Satan, no, no murders or anything like that. So, um, I don't think, I don't think anyone gets murdered. Um, so uh, that, that's that's where it's going. Not th- so. I just want to preface: not that I'm saying Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I'm not talking about it this year. Maybe maybe next year. We're not going to talk about like the elephant in the room, you know, just like with what may have happened with State Police recently. Down down to Seagirt, something something's happening. Something like that. Something's popping off. Shots fired. No pun intended. But anyway. <laughs> Um, the memes, the memes have been popping off, though. I'm saying, talk about talk about food for uh, food for the fun. And um, then this this one page that's been popping up, Garden State Goons. Oh yeah, he's gonna he's out. gonna out himself. <laughs> so anyway, let's let's get on let's get on topic here. So National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. 
Have you seen the other National Lampoon movies? Yes. Okay, so I haven't. I haven't. I got to. Oh, yeah. None of them. Really? No, no. Just Christmas Vacation. I was just saying that Christmas Vacation, I only found recently. I don't know why. Like, I knew. I knew I knew it existed. I've probably watched it probably the last five years or so. But of all the Christmas movies I watched growing up, it was not on the list. I don't know why. Um, but I love the movie. Uh, we watched it um, probably just before Thanksgiving, maybe. No, probably just after Thanksgiving. And uh, my girlfriend's daughter, she's 10. She was here and we're watching it. And my girlfriend and I forgot about the scenes in the the jewelry store. Oh yeah, and, or or the the lingerie store, and then the the pool scene. Can't see lines, can you, Russ? <laughs> so that that we're watching it, and we're like, oh no, oh no, oh no! But luckily, it is nothing shown. You know, there's no, some. It's imp- pretty tame. It, it is. It's it's imp- it's uh, implied, but you're not seeing anything. So uh, for anyone that's never seen it, just be advised that there there's like two moments when you're like holding your breath, like oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, but then it goes. That's fine. That's it. It's yeah, implied, it's, but it's not there. Kind of like Insta thoughts when they're doing their, you know, leg routines or booty routines. Right, all right. It's just, uh, hey, focus on the squat. You're working on my. I'm looking at my technique. Nothing else. Not the yeah, uh, like, skin tight leggings. That's what we're supposed to be focused on. Hashtag Jim uh, Shark. <laughs> I love. So I feel like Clark Griswold, Griswold sometimes. Like I always set up the holidays in my mind to be so amazing. Then it happens. And it sucks or it doesn't suck, but it definitely doesn't. It never lives up to your expectation of, you know, the, the quintessential uh, American family Christmas. Like people don't just show up at your house and you're like, oh, this is a great time. Like life is not a Hallmark movie. Let's 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 cut it to the chase. Yeah. I, and that's one thing that grown up my family, we were small knit, like even though being Italian, we're just we weren't like crazy with the holidays. And it was nice. Okay. It was just family. Uh, you know, immediate family, grandparents. It was not bad because mm-hmm. I cannot deal with that many people. Yeah. Too, too much family time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my family's just huge period. Um, growing up, it huge. was, it was, was that huge? Yeah. Huge. Um, <clears throat> growing up, it was my, my mom, my dad, my me and my me, me. Um, <laughs> and then my sister and her family ended up moving in when, when I was probably, I don't know, seven or eight. And ultimately my sister has a lot of kids. So it's just big. We don't need to invite anybody to our house for the holidays. It's already a packed house. Um, but you know, I've, I know about Thanksgivings where the cookie never, or, Oh my God, I can't talk. The Turkey never cooked. That's what I was trying to say. Um, yeah. It, I mean, shit was, my, my, my mom was very well-intentioned. She wasn't the best cook at times. So holidays, you know, never go the way um, now you know, it, we don't, we don't invite anyone over for the holidays. We might have like, um, Saturday we're doing a Christmas party, mm-hmm. but it's going to be the family plus like two family friends and that's it. Um, but the idea of like family coming from out of state for the holidays, that was never a thing for you. No, not at all. No, I, um, actually I lied when we moved to Florida, I had some aunts and uncles come down from New Jersey for Christmas Eve. And that was, that was odd. I'll be honest. That was odd. I was like, I'm not used to this, but, um, surprise. Ah, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What would you say is like your favorite part of Christmas vacation? It's like your favorite scene. Let's see. Probably the beginning. And then also the, um, when they're going tubing down the hill. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With with the uh, whatever it was to slick the slick yeah, the slider. The, uh, yeah, the saucer or whatever it yeah. was. Yeah, and he goes like flying through the damn yeah. thing. It's um, and then the Actually, thing with the tri- Clark's freak out in the end. Yeah, that's that's probably mine. Between that and like his pre freak out, where he's like, you know, it's going to be the jolliest bunch of assholes this side of the nut house. That line just resonates with me so much. That's it like, just fits so perfectly with law enforcement in life. Yes, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And just when you get to that point when, like, like I said, like you, you want like a really nice holiday and she's just going sideways every single step of the way. And you're like, all right, we're going to, we're going to make this work. We're going to be the yeah. jolliest bunch of assholes. Um, that, and I would say the beginning when he's doing the, uh, with the pickup truck and he's like chasing it and he goes under the, that's one of the best chase scenes in film history. <laughs> that's right up there with like bad boys and bad boys too man burn my dust and eat my rubber <laughs> oh what uh, oh kids look reindeer and then he flips off the guy in the truck <laughs> that's good stuff man i don't know what uh what other, so you said jingle all the way i just talked about that was a good ass movie too it's so underrated i remember seeing that in the theaters and oh really yeah that's that's awesome i was just talking about it i said that uh I did some research for it, and Jake Lloyd, the kid, that, the one that played the kid, he was yes. Anakin in Skywalker in uh, Phantom Menace. He, um, he's he's gone off the deep end, man. He's been arrested a bunch of times. I think he's like paranoid schizophrenic. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, if you look at him, you would have thought you like arrested him for dope. He's he's just not he's he's falling off the wagon big time. Yeah, because I was like, oh man, maybe they should do like a reboot and have him be the dad this time. Because you know, like, oh, I wouldn't let that happen to Mike. No, he he he's he's out of commission, man. He's out of yeah, commission. Yeah, because the guy that played, no, it was the asshole neighbor in Jingle All the Way. He, oh, Phil Hartman, yeah, boy. yeah, yeah. Did his wife kill him? I thought I thought he shot himself. Oh, okay. Yeah, I forget, but yeah, I remember. Yeah, it was something kind of scandalous, though. I think it was, was. like something. To... Was he the one? Almost like a Chris no, Benoit. Um, yeah. No, I was I was thinking of Tom Arnold. He was the one that was married to Roseanne, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think so. I think so. So no, Roseanne had nothing to do with this. Never mind. I was gonna. <laughs> Roseanne's got enough on her plate. I don't have to add uh, Phil Hartman's death to I mean, her. She looks like she has a lot on her plate. At at most times, yes. Do you remember when she ran for president? No. She ran. I want to say in 2012. She was on the Green Party candidate or Green Party ticket. Seriously. And all she was talking about was legalizing weed. That was the only thing that she was in support of. Everything else didn't matter. That was her big thing. Obviously, Green Party. Yeah. Yeah, it um, makes sense, you know. It does. But I feel bad for her because, I mean, Donald got elected, but she didn't. Well, let's hope he just runs in 2024. Yeah. I saw something today uh, that someone wanted to name him Speaker of the House or something like that. I don't I don't know. I got I to gotta read more about that. Him and Daddy DeSantis. That's it. Or what if what if you got like Daddy DeSantis to run and then Trump is his vice president? Oh, because yeah, I saw something about that too. Um, I don't know, man. We'll we'll see how politics shape up. I think this next this next year is going to be major. Not to get too political, but I think it's going to just be major with everything happening. No one's happy with what's going on. Republicans, Democrats, no one's happy. No, so just, it feels like Groundhog Day. Like, all right, wake up. COVID's on news. Okay, cool. All right, Biden sucks. And that's it. Wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, shit's just so expensive and there's nothing on the shelves to even buy. It's just, you know, oh, look, more more mandates, more whatever. A new a new variant. Going to Walmart the other day, no joke, the toilet paper section was legit, like, ransacked. I'm like, 
Oh, so we're back to this again. So we're either stockpiling ammo or toilet paper. Yeah, that's it's crazy. I I hate going to the grocery store now. It pisses me off because things are so expensive. Everything's out of stock. I mean, cream cheese is out of stock. What what are we doing here, people? What what? That's how you know we hit the low in you know the scheme of pandemics. Yeah, I, I mean it's now I don't know. besides you know food stores and everything. How how are the uh, Florida drivers? Because up here on eighty going to work or pretty much any major highway people just jive like fucking assholes it's like they totally forgot like how to drive yeah so it's been traffic crash city everywhere i go i always see the troopers got somebody in a in a fender bender or whatever the other day where was it i was driving up to to home or not this home the other home and um someone got in a crash in the middle of the highway and they didn't move over to the side. They're literally in the middle of traffic out of their cars. I'm like, because what are you? Their cars, you know, God forbid. It was a fender bender. I was like, move. And there's signs everywhere in Florida saying, hey, if you're in a crash, move to the emergency lane, move to the side. Like, it's not like it disabled your vehicle. It's yeah. There's only been one time when I saw someone get rear-ended and it was a, it was a front car was a pickup with a giant ass uh, tow hitch. And then the, the small car that hit him, the tow hitch went right into the radiator. So yes, that disabled the car. Right. Fine. You're stuck. But these guys were literally just not, it wasn't that way. So that there's crashes everywhere. And I blame the snowbirds, the people that come down from about Thanksgiving until, you know, about March. And then they go back up North to New Jersey, Pennsylvania, uh, New York, Ohio, you know, all those PA and New York drivers are notorious for just being fucking idiots. Yes. Yes. So if you're listening and you work and you live and drive in those States, we are calling you out. There's uh there's nothing worse than a PA driver. I will say in my, tri- in my cross country trips, Virginia sucks too. People in Virginia, Virginia just, yeah. it's just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't miss taking the, um, uh, the trip and having to go through the beltway around DC it's just a nightmare. There, there's never a time when there isn't traffic in DC. Never, yeah. never. And I've only gone through a few times. Um, and those few right, times were enough. Yeah, yeah, it was enough. I'm, I'm done. Um, all right, man, we're gonna we're gonna cut it. This episode's already long enough. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's what, what she said. So, uh, I appreciate you coming here and chatting some uh, Christmas movies with me. I'm gonna get red on. I think next week we're gonna talk about Home Alone, nice. and uh, then we're gonna get the D on. Dr. Double D. Oh shit. <laughs> and we're going to talk about elf. So those nice. are, those are some Christmas movies coming up. So I appreciate your time, buddy. We're going to, I think next week is when we're planning on recording the next Jersey boys, as long as everybody can line up. So we'll talk soon, man. Sounds good, bro. Awesome. Later. See Special thanks to my buddy, Frank Castle for coming out and talking with me for a little bit. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We're going to wrap the episode guys. Thank you so much for everything. If you missed something this episode, there's a lot. I know it's a lot. This is, this is big for me. Um, let's just recap what we talked about. So you know what to do. We started out talking, uh, with the voicemails, go check that out, copy down the number and call it. Uh, love to hear from you guys. We talked about fathers. Go say hi to your dad. If you can, if you can't, I'm in that same boat with you guys. Then we had Mike Chitwood on, and we literally talked about everything. We talked about his case with Allen Iverson. We talked about um, how to be a good leader, how to just – we talked about so much. Go back and re-listen to that episode. There's something you missed, definitely. Then we ended up going into um, talking Christmas movies, and we talked about Jingle All the Way, talked a little bit about 
Die Hard and Batman Returns, and then of course National Lampoon. That's it. The music for today. Stay. And then we had Rolling in the Deep. Not Rolling in the Deep. I'm sorry. Uh, Astronaut in the Ocean. Then we had My My Way with Frank Sinatra. And we're gonna wrap it up with Nothing for Christmas by Newfound Glory. Thank you guys so much. Stay tuned for next week. We've got Jeff Smith from Street Cop Training. That was an amazing episode. Also, so thankful for everybody. Uh, hanging out and everything. We've got something planned something in the works between the resiliency project and Jenna Rose. I'm going to be on the street cop podcast soon. Keep your eyes peeled. We're going to announce all that stuff very soon. Love you guys. Take care. Stay safe. We'll see you next week. 10, eight out. To hold on to your arm for so long December it comes in a flash Then it's gone A hope in your eyes That I can't put a price on I won't let you go Through this year all alone And I think back through fall And the summer And how it changed everything Let's walk through snow I need